searching for a research partner to handle the details of your next qualitative project, when we say fieldwork can handle it all, we mean it. From world-class facilities to low-incidence recruitment, their team of experts handles the details so you can stay focused on the research. Say goodbye to traditional focus group rooms and recruitment tactics. As market research has grown from the standard focus group to incorporate other innovative methodologies and technologies, fieldwork has expanded along with it. With facilities nationwide and sophisticated global recruitment services, their detail-oriented staff partners with you to achieve great insights. Focus on the research. Fieldwork will do the rest. Hello and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. I'm Priscilla McKinney, CEO and Mama Bird here. And with me today, I have Damon Pistolka. He has been in a couple of different conversations with me. I've actually been on his podcast. So I love welcoming podcasters to my podcast. It's something that is super easy for all of us. So Damon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Priscilla. Well, here on Ponderings from the Perch, I like to pull back the curtain and just not make things so difficult for people to understand, you know, give them some kind of a vignette into a world and demystify things that maybe get a lot of jargon or maybe have a lot of maybe shame around them. You know, things that maybe are connected with imposter syndrome for entrepreneurs and for business managers. So today I invited Damon because he is focused on identifying and executing opportunities to increase business revenue. That is just point and, you know, very, very simply what he does. So we want to think about profitability. We want to make sure we're talking to the right people and that we're asking the right questions. He has over 20 years of experience building and managing businesses. And in those 20 years, there's been some pretty extreme conditions and he's worked in a lot of different industries. So he has a lot of insight to bring to this conversation. He actually has a framework and you can check it out at Exit Your Way. I'm going to give him a little bit of an opportunity to tee it up a little bit at the end, just as a thank you for coming on our show and, um, you know, giving his expertise to the audience. But, you know, when you are at that point about even contemplating private equity or selling or what do I need to do now for better results much later in the future? I think Damon knows that it is so important to think early about your exit. Otherwise, you will exit someone else's way. Is that correct, Damon? That is that is correct. You know, you don't get to set the path if you don't know where you're going. I love it. I love it. So let's start there. This expertise that you have, you have worked with so many different industries, so many different types of owners. So tell me what is really pressing, what you're hearing from people right now, where they're struggling to, you know, modernize or to be stay ahead in order to grow their business. What's that? What's that kind of chief complaint going on right now? Well, you know, in current conditions, a lot of it is a deal with talent. And let's be honest, we've been able as business owners to live in a in a time period where talent was where it's an employer's market, right? We could find the people we wanted to, we could pay a fair price and we could do it. And honestly, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know, COVID, whatever the deal is, we're in a situation now, the results of it, uh, of this are we're in an employee's market right now, and they can dictate terms a little bit more. You have to be more, you really have to pay attention to treating the people. And I don't want to, better is not the right word, but 
make them feel more a part of your organization more than you ever did before. And I think that's one of the things that people are saying now, which is more difficult than it has been. But for the people that have been doing this already, that really have people first focus, understand that their people are the, I mean, this is the lifeblood of your business, right? If you have good people and then they're engaged in your business, if you have their hearts, their head and their body in your business, you have so much more than if you just get a pair of hands or you get a, get a mind, you know, that's not really all in for you. And I think that's what a lot of business owners are really finding out is they have to treat their people as the whole person and really get them entirely engaged. I think one extra layer that makes it difficult is, and you struggled with even a word for it, not better, but maybe it's a more mindful approach to employees. And I know where I've struggled with this is that, you know, employees in the past wanted certain things, but then things morph and you have to get flexible again. And I think one thing that's really difficult for me right now is that different employees want different things. And how do you how do you come up with a way forward where you still can stay focused on the growth of your business? And that really is your expertise is the growth piece. Yeah, yeah. And you make a great point, Priscilla. I'll just hit it really quick because Priscilla might like to might be very productive, say from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. Damon. I want might be my most productive from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. What do you do with those kind of things when you really understand or your life changes and you have to work around those kind of things? It's just there's so many different variables, but the people that are truly flexible and can understand this and in the manufacturing companies, I think, or, or these companies that have shift type work. I mean, when they can be flexible, it opens a whole new world for them. So but when you look at growth, let's, let's switch to growth really quick. The thing. That's happened over the last few years. COVID accelerated this, right? The digital transformation of our business world is now we're here on this podcast. You Zoom probably more than you ever did three years ago. I certainly do. And and we were even virtual before COVID. This is something that we really have to understand is how is business changing? How are people finding your business? How are people deciding whether or not you're the right person? Because what what was happening before this that most people don't realize is the buyers for most industries, the age was going down. As baby boomers retire, Gen Xers are getting up to the, you know, are in the management level or they're in the more senior roles in the company. The people are actually making buying decisions are the millennials, right? Well, millennials grew up digitally. And if you're not a digital first company, I don't care if you're selling to GM or you're selling to the bakery down the street or you're selling, you know, HVAC, you have to understand your market. And if your market wants to find you digitally, they want to figure out if you are the right solution to what they're looking for, and then get some proof, some social proof, whatever that may be, testimonials, whatever it is, social media kind of proof. They want to be able to do that online. The vast majority of buyers now, over 50% of buyers are, are less than Gen X or people in the workforce are less than Gen Xers now. And we really, as businesses, especially in some of the manufacturing business and some more industrial businesses, in that sales aspect, have missed the boat on that. There's an entire, yes, the salespeople, I used to be one of them out in the road doing that. And I understand there's value in those salespeople. We just have to augment it with the digital part to help people, the buyers, give them what they want, allow them to make that journey farther down the sales path 
And then let the salespeople do what they do best is create the relationships. Once your client knows that they're pretty sure they want to do business with you. Oh, I would agree so much. And in fact, I, you know, there's a report a little bit uh, dated right now, but I read it CEB Gartner and they put out that the business to business buyer is 57% of the way through their buying decision before they ever make any requests to talk to a salesperson or connect with your company. And that's because they're on their own digital, completely anonymous, largely (laughs) self-directed journey to figuring out not only what they want, but who are the thought leaders in that area. And they're even defining their requirements for what they're about to buy, but they're doing all of that without the salesperson unless they get involved with them digitally. Yes. And the thing I think that salespeople need to understand is it's not threatening them in any way to use Mm -hmm. digital in the beginning. It's taking away the pain in the butt work of some of this prospecting, some of this finding out who could I sell to? Well, isn't it better if somebody's coming to you and they already are kind of interested in what you're doing and they kind of think that you're the right solution? How much better of a situation is that for a salesperson to walk into than making a cold call? Oh, totally, totally. Okay. Now your expertise though is understanding not only all of the nuances that go on with salespeople and generating revenue, but you really couch this in a way that the owner can understand and the owner can figure out how to actually create the path to exit. So help Mm -hmm. me understand your expertise in digital transformation, your expertise in, in managing and creating growth and bringing sales teams up, but for the purpose of really driving bigger value in your company, how is that connected? Well, My background came from running companies for investment owners, right? Whether it's a polling companies or private equity. And and what I realized very quickly moving from a family business into that kind of setting is they're concerned about value, right? We buy at a certain value. We have to increase that value and we sell at another value, at a higher value, hopefully. (laughs) And when you look at it, most business owners are not aware of the value of their business. They might have read an article on you know, Wall Street Journal or something, but if you're looking at a public company valuation and you don't have one that's close to your industry, close to, you know, or you haven't had one done, you don't really know, right? So the thing that when I started working at selling businesses with my partner, Andrew Cross, six, seven years ago now, and we were doing it in the private equity businesses, we were buying, selling stuff there too. But when we started doing it together in our company, the first thing that I realized very quickly is business owners don't have an idea of the value of their business. And if you wait until the end and you go, oh, I'm ready to sell my business. Oh, God, I guess you got to get out. Holy goodness. And then you, you find the value of your business and, it's, and you go, I can't retire on that. I can't go do whatever I want to do next on that. Well, you're hosed. You're in the wrong mm-hmm. position because you're ready to go, but you can't. So you're, you're stuck in your business, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's why I talk about, you talked at the beginning about someone else deciding what you're going to do. If you can't fund your what's, what's next with your sale of your business or give you the money you need for whatever you want to do after that. And I say that because a lot of our clients are in their 40s and 50s because they've decided what their what's next is. And we are using their business as a wealth generating machine to be able to generate the wealth they need to do whatever's next. And This is something that people need to understand is value is tied to profitability. And if you increase the profitability, you increase your value. 
you also, when you're preparing for the sale of the business, you have to think about your buyer. Just like when you're selling your products or services, you have to think about your buyer. But when you're selling your business, you have to think about the buyer of your business. When we would run in the private equity world or in the investment-owned world, we would think about the buyer from the beginning. Where are we going to sell this company when it's the value we want it to be? Because we would create all along the way. We would set up the management structure. We would set up the, the sales organization. We would think about where this is going to go because we had an idea where we were going to go with these things. Now, when you do this as a private business owner, you can increase the value of your business 50, 75% mm -hmm. just by structuring the business right and making it attractive to the buyer. You couple this with a business that's generating more profit over the last year or two, and it's got significantly more runway to go. You can quadruple or quintuple the value of your business in five years, or I mean, in two years. And you are not going to ride that growth wave out to the end. What you're going to do is you're going to ride that growth wave for a while. And you're going to prove that that growth wave is solid there and going to go. Then you're going to sell your business because the buyer will be looking, it'll be attractive to that buyer. They're going to get growth. They're going to get that value increase. And it's going to be ready for them to step into and make some additional money. And business owners need to think about this in the end, because only about 25% on a good day of businesses ever get sold. Ouch. It's a horrible statistic. This is the secret that the whole business brokerage investment banking world doesn't like anybody to know is that at the small main street bakery on the corner, whatever, those are 20% maybe. And what they don't realize is a lot of these places sell a main street business are listing a whole bunch, hoping a few sell. That's how they make their money. And, and really business owners needs to take the stand of, I'm going to develop this business. So it's going to be attractive to the next buyer. I'm going to know that next buyer. I'm going to get on a growth path. That's going to attract not only the value I want, but the next buyer I want. And when you do this, it is a completely different experience with your business and a lot of fun. Yeah. So, cause you're looking at it basically through the eyes of someone else, what would yes. they find valuable? Not just how's my baby looking? <laughs> yes. So let's kind of break that down just a little bit because maybe two large categories, if you will, of who potential buyers could be would be like you mentioned, private equity. That's yep. one type of sale. Another sale could be a strategic partnership. Now, of course, you could sell to actual executives in your team. You could sell yep. to a customer. Yep. You could sell all the way back to your own employees. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of machinations here, but let's take kind of those two largest groups, either private equity or a company that's buying you for a strategic partnership type of reason, some kind of synergy, right? Yeah. Would you agree those are the two most? Yeah, those most those common? two. And then you, you just talk about the third would be a private individual, you know, because mm, and when you talk mm -hmm. about employees, you know, the ESOPs and things, those are great for people that have more than a million dollars in, in payroll. And there's some great tax advantages to that, but we can go on for hours about ESOPs because I think they're, mm -hmm. they're a good alternative for certain kinds of companies. But when you look at the private equity world, what they're trying to buy, whether it's a search fund buyer or with search fund, which usually they bring a CEO in and they're funded by a group or the true private equity, when you get above about 5 million in EBITDA, those, the true private equity, what they're going to want to see is they're going to see a management team that can develop and execute a five-year strategy. If you don't have that without the owner, right? Without the owner, if you're going to be a 5 million plus EBITDA company and you're going to sell a platform into a smaller private equity group, you better have a team that can develop and execute that five-year strategy. 
If you're a little bit smaller, if you're a million to 5 million and you're going to sell maybe into a search fund kind of thing, you, the owner can still be the CEO, but you better be the CEO, not operations, not anything else. You're just strategic direction and you've got a good team around you. Your middle management's really strong. You got good sales, can't be tied to you too much, you know, those kind of things. And when you look at the individuals, even when you go down to a Main Street business, there's a ton of things you can do. If you're a slave to your business, who's going to want to buy it, (laughs) right? So you can at least set it up so you can enjoy your life, right? And we all know that businesses take a lot of time, but setting it up so it's not like an anchor dragging you down all the time. And yes, you're doing it because you love it. You're doing it. It's flexible around your lifestyle. It's, you know, there's just a lot of things you can do to make those businesses more attractive well, as well. And then when you talk about the fourth one, the strategic that you talked about, because we talked about the other two, the, the other three, but the strategics, you know, they're going to buy you for market. They're going to buy you for technology. They're going to buy you for a management team. There's going to be something special that you have product. IP, you know, those kind of things. So if you're going to do that, you really need to think about who it is and really understand if they are buying. Because we get a lot of people that come to us, oh, this, I know this company, this competitor of ours is going to want to buy us. They don't have any idea. Is that competitor even prepared to buy a company? Mm-hmm. Have they acquired anybody else? Because buying a company is not easy. And the bigger it gets, the harder it gets, right? Don't I, I know say it. some, Yeah, yeah. So it these things are, you got to think about this because if you're in an industry where there's not aggregation, or, I mean, companies combining or anything like that, you, you might be, it might not be a good fit. But I will say a lot of people looking for strategics, there are a gazillion private equity groups out there that own chains of pawn shops and they're not the same name, right? So they might have 50 pawn shops, and you don't even think about it because I've got a Damon's pawn shop on the corner. I'm doing fine. I'm going to sell my little business. And I go, I'm trying to sell that all the people in the neighborhood, right? Because if you have a, but you don't even think about what if I sold to a big equity group that had a hundred pawn shops, mm-hmm. that might be an alternative for you. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at those kind of things and you still have to understand that while before your business, because if it's set up to sell to the person down the street, might not fit in with that equity group. But if you do a little bit more, you can make it really attractive to them. Yeah. So, you know, that person down the street is going to need something very different to be able to walk in and run it than a private equity firm who's not even located in the same town. (laughs) They're going to need very different types of structures and things like that. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you a pretty tough question. So (laughs) you, you obviously specialize in revenue growth, modernizing your sales efforts and really trying to understand what digital transformation is meaningful and what needs to happen with your team in order to get real revenue growth. But there's another side of business that is growth by acquisition. So mm-hmm. how do you talk about the difference of those two and two? And, you know, do you, are you a big fan of people doing multiple acquisitions and, and, and what's been your experience there? We are, if you're ready for it. And that's the thing. I mean, we're, we're doing an acquisition right now, actually five acquisitions with a client of ours. And It is an awesome way to grow. I mean, you can't deny the power of the acquisition strategy because that's honestly, that's how most of the investment money is made. What business owners don't often realize is that the larger your business gets, the more you get paid in value per dollar of profit. 
So if I have $100 in profit in a $1 million revenue business, I might get whatever X times that. But if that's in a $20 million or $100 million business, I get multiples higher of that. So the acquisition strategy is a really good way for you to grow. And like you could have, just say I've got a $2 million business and and I make whatever, $300,000, $200,000, doesn't really matter. And I acquire one down the street for two more million. And now I have 400,000 in profit and I've got $4 million. I probably get another 1X times that. So I get another 400,000 just by buying that company. My value went up on all the dollars of profit. Mm -hmm. So these kind of things will, will make a big difference. And that's why you see private equity groups, when they buy a platform company, they're going to go in and spend money on a little bigger company. And then they're going to buy a bunch of small ones and put them together because every time that small one comes in, they might be valued at three X profit and they move into the bigger company and they're six X profit. So they made three X value increase just by moving the revenue and profits into the bigger company. Oh, it I love that. It happens that. every day. Uh-huh. Well, I think it's different though. People see it happen, but they're not really understanding the mechanism, like the reasoning yeah. behind it you know, what's going on. How often are you doing repeat business then with your clients? We do very little. I should say, because most of our people go to their what's next, right? And and a lot of people, it's like, I'm going to hang on the beach. I'm going to invest in something else. And I'm I'm not going to be in a business anymore. And that's great to see. I mean, you know, when somebody's got kids that are just in high school age and you see them generating enough wealth that they're, you know, they've set their kids up and they can go invest in some real estate, put money in the market. And now they're going to do charity work or they're going to do whatever else. It's, it's really fun to see that we do. Our relationships are really long with clients though, because, you know, I might talk to somebody today, they might not be ready to start this for five years we might work with them a little bit over the years, and then then we might get intense in the last two to three years. But You alluded to that a little earlier, so let me ask you that. You mentioned that sometimes people come at it too late. Either they're like, they want to sell now, but they probably got you know 12 to 24 months worth of work to do to straighten some yeah. things out. How often do you get that request? And, and and those people, I mean, they're ready to check out. They're burnt yeah. out by then. They're yeah. they're asking maybe too late in the game. How how often do you see that? Well, it's more than half. It's more mm. than half. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And and we refer them to people that that try to sell as is whereas kind of thing, you know? Mm. So that's, that's where we non-ideal. <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal. It's not ideal at all because I mean you're rolling the dice. And no matter what situation it is, you're going to take the price that somebody's going to pay, right? But if you know the value and say, I want to get 5 million out of my business, right? I want to net 5 million. So we're going to work and get the value to like seven, right? Because you want to go, you don't want to just come in and barely squeak in and then the buyer come in and negotiate down 10%, 20% down for, you know, for some other reason. And then you go, God, did I really do it? You got to go into it knowing you're going to make enough money. Because that's the number one reason why businesses don't sell is you can't, the buyer and seller can't agree on price and terms. So we try to take that out of it. Mm. Now, is it that you find that when an individual is buying it, the individual comes in, takes over and the owner can be gone. But with private equity, are you seeing that that's usually a one, two, maybe even three years of an earnout? What's been your experience and the differences there? Oh, it's, it's all different. It's, it's just completely different. I mean, we, depending on the business and how well it's set up, 
it's dependent on the firm, it's dependent on the industry and dependent on the business. I mean, it can be as simple as nothing, really. You get a seller note, the, the owner that's selling a business might take 10%, you know, that they get paid over three, four years, five years, whatever it is for 10, 15, 20% of the business at the worst and to nothing. Basically, there might be a little bit of hold back for any contingencies to get paid that out in a year if nothing happens and they're down the road. But it's not this two, three years, because if you're selling to private equity and you you have to stay with the business for two or three years, you're not going to mm-hmm. sell it to private equity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just not going to, because they understand the psychology of it, right? If Damon's really smart in my business, and he's the reason why this business is so valuable, if I pay Damon 10, 20, 30 million dollars, whatever it is, his incentive to work is much different the day after that wire hits the account, right? They know that. And so you have to have your business set up so you don't need to be there. Oh, I love it. Okay. If you are even thinking (laughs) that this is in your future, I think the takeaway from this conversation is you need to talk to an expert earlier than you think. (laughs) I think that would be the takeaway here. So Damon Pistolka, you can find him, of course, on LinkedIn. I'm going to spell it for you, though. It's D-A-M-O-N. And Pistolka is P-I-S-T-U-L-K-A. So look him up there. But Damon, where else can they find you and where can they learn about your Exit Your Way system? Yeah, they can look at ExitYourWay.com or or just reach out to me at uh, Damon, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.com. And uh, yeah, we can talk. I love it. Well, from all of us here at Little Bird Marketing, we want you to have the very best experience with your business, all the marketing that you use in order to build it up to make sure that you get to exit your way and build your own legacy. So thanks for listening and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.